Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. Before I jump into what's been going on, I have to give a quick apology to all of my supporters that saw that video from last Friday. I think the audio came out right, but there was a technical issue with the video that I will explain on the next Q&A, but holy crap was that embarrassing. I hope you were either laughing with me or laughing at me. That's fine too, but hopefully nobody was offended at the terrible video job. It was a total accident and I did figure out what happened. So I'll actually let everybody know just to be helpful to prevent this from happening to anybody else who wants to shoot video in the same way that I do. But man, was that embarrassing. Anyway, let's jump into what's been going on in the last week. As promised, I wanted to follow up with my test results on if you could de-yellow plastic using just the sun. I had put my Famicom outside in direct sunlight. That was outside in a pretty much uh, cloudless day with sun beating directly on it for a minimum of six hours, and it made zero difference. So as I kind of suspected, you know, your results are going to vary based on the time of year, you know, how how bright the sun is. I mean, I imagine summer in a desert somewhere, you're going to get drastically different results than, you know, springtime in New York City. But overall, I, I really still think what I said last week stands in that having a catalyst for this, whether it's, you know, any of the deoxid solutions or bleach or whatever else is really what would speed the process along. Um, And, you know, while the video seemed to, maybe I just watched it wrong. I watched the whole video, but it seemed to imply that some of the tests that they did got immediate results that day. I don't really think that's realistic in many scenarios. Um, As the, the scientists that were quoted said, it's only a few of just the microscopic layers of plastic that might be affected sometimes. So I imagine if you have something that is only just started to yellow or only the, the first few tiny little microscopic layers have yellowed, yeah, it'll probably help. But I think for your average person that's really just looking to de-yellow their console, using some kind of RetroBrite solution is probably best. Just do it right. Um, I always scrub all of my consoles first. I use uh, Gugon, and then after doing, yeah, de- well, first I disassemble them. <laughs> Sorry, should have said that first. Disassemble my consoles, take everything metal or electric out, then I scrub them underwater with um, Gugon, and then again with dish detergent, mostly to get the really gross Gugon residue off when you're done. But a second washing helps. Then I hit it with compressed air to get the little tiny little water particles out of the nooks and crannies of all these things. And then I leave it out in the sun. And while that normally doesn't do anything for yellowing, it's certainly a good start. Uh, And I think that's what most people would probably be okay with with your average console. Um, Stuff that's very badly yellowed. I'm going to go back and test different retro bright solutions soon. Um, I might use this Famicom as well. I probably will start out with a yellowed PlayStation 1 I have just because it's not a sought-after model. It's kind of just whatever. So I might practice on that. And I I also really want to see things like I'm assuming you would want to remove all of the colored buttons from the Famicom. Probably that strip on the front that says Family Computer before doing the RetroBrite process. Um, But, I mean, that's kind of one of the great things about trying direct sunlight I suggest cleaning the console first. You don't want to have dirt on there while it's you know heating up under under UV rays. But if you clean your console really well and leave it in the sunlight for days, I don't think anything bad could happen. Whereas if you do a bad job retrobrighting, I've seen lots of pictures of people's work online where um, it looks swirly. You know, it almost looks like one. There are spots that are are whiter than others, and it doesn't look even. And while I'm often told that it doesn't look so bad in person, it's really just picked up by the camera, 
I'm still in my mind always wondering, would it be best if I just left the console alone? Or, you know, would would it be better if it if I messed it up and had it look like this? So the direct sunlight method, maybe I interpreted the video wrong. If so, that's you know, my bad, and I'm sorry for then, you know, regurgitating it wrong here. But I felt like the video kind of implied you could uh you know, you could possibly get results within a day that are pretty drastic, much like the picture shown up top. Um and that's as I kind of thought last week, I really don't think that's gonna be the case in most scenarios. But you know, clean it right, put it outside. I don't think any harm could come of that. You know, uh, maybe um, labels might start to get worn faster, but for things that are just plastic, I don't know. I don't think, I think it's worth trying because I don't think you could screw it up. So, uh, you know, no disrespect meant to any of the people that did the videos. I think sometimes I tweet stuff pretty quickly and people misinterpret me, but I just, uh, as far as can you just take a console, leave it in direct sunlight and have it come back white, I'm going to go with a hard no on that, <laughs> but there are ways, obviously, that you could use it. Uh, use sunlight or sunlight in a mixture of some kind of catalyst to get things brighter. So I just wanted to be clear about that because I think that, um, a lot of people were discussing this, both from the podcast, this other video, and other things online. So I think just to have realistic expectations, and if you want, give it a try because I don't think it could hurt. One last follow-up from last week, just a very quick and heartfelt thank you to everybody that participated in or helped out with the Virtual Boy event. Holy crap, was that a lot of fun, and it was way better than I expected. Um, I knew the setup was going to be cool, I knew the people that understood what it was were going to appreciate it, but seeing some of the, some of the newer Street Fighter players walk by and kind of do a double take and sit down... That was incredible because not only did they appreciate the experience for what it was, but a lot of them were just really masters at the game. So seeing them sit down with this and see the little differences between the different versions of Street Fighter and this one, um, it was just absolutely awesome. So thank you so much to everybody involved in this. We'll definitely do another one like this again soon, and I want to continue to bring weird and unique experiences to different kind of tournaments like this in the future, because it was just very awesome to see and uh, and really cool to watch other people's reactions to this when they played, especially some of the players that didn't know what a Virtual Boy was and were kind of like, the heck is that? And then, you know, 15 matches later, they're like, that was pretty cool. (laughs) So thank you to everybody, and I'm definitely doing it again. There's been another update to the HD Mode 7 support in BeastNess. It looks like the developer Durkown, and please correct me if I'm saying that wrong, uh, has added more support for widescreen. And I guess the best way to describe that is in that original video that I had posted last week of Cat's Run, when I was recording it, everything Mode 7 went completely widescreen, whereas the rest of it stayed square, but it was a very thin bar across the screen that was wide. So I just cropped it out in the video to give you a true sense of what a SNES game would be like. Well, I guess the developer has now kind of taken that one step further and attempted to make the rest of the screen widescreen as well. And not by stretching, but by processing unused areas of the game, as well as doing more work towards that HD Mode 7. So uh, this is awesome. I mean, this is now one step closer to true 16 by 9 out of some of these games. Um, I believe Wideness and I think Wide Game Boy were the projects working on um, something that accomplished the same thing but using a different method. I believe those were once the screen went past a part of the map, 
that map was retained in memory. So that could even be applied to something like a fighting game where you start out in the middle and you could move a couple steps to, you know, past the screen to the left and a couple to the right. If you, uh, in a widescreen mode, you would actually be able to probably have the full uh, fight screen all in a 16 by 9 mode. Um, so while that's not, while it doesn't have anything directly to do with this beastness, um, I would really love to see developers kind of work on both of those things together and really have pretty much true 16 by 9 support for emulation. Um, you know, it's kind of weird that I've been talking about it every week for like the past month or so, but it's when emulation could do something that is absolutely impossible in every way on an original console, I get genuinely excited and go out of my way to try to play it. Even if it's just a fun test or something, um, even if I can't set up a full emulation rig to a monitor or a TV, I love messing with this stuff and I always have. So thanks so much to all of the teams working on this and I can't wait to see what else they come up with. I recently posted a video that showcased the three Neo Geo ROM carts that are currently on the market. And to be honest, I can't say that one is a winner. I really did like them all. And I think that if you're interested in buying one, you should watch the video and pay attention to how each work, the menu setup, the way that you change games, heck, even the placement of the SD card on these things, and kind of pay attention and apply that to your setup and see which is best for your needs. I'm not just saying that to get views. <laughs> I, I really do mean that. You're going to have to watch the video to decide which is the best for your setup. Uh, I really did like them all. Uh, I don't have a favorite because I'm constantly using my Neo Geo stuff in different environments. So, you know, if I were if I were super rich, I would probably buy all three and use three for completely different reasons. But, uh, you know, overall, they're all great, and they all have new firmware updates coming. So this, this review was a very accurate representation of what you could get pretty much today. Uh, I think there's already been one more update to the Darksoft cart that allows for the monitor test tool. Um, the Neo SD team said that there's updates coming as well. But I thought it was just fair to, to really do, these, do the comparison today because that's what you could have gotten. That's what people will experience. And I also didn't talk about any bugs with them. Because to be honest, uh, in my experience with both Terra Onion and Darksoft, every bug that I had submitted or asked about in both of those ROM carts over the years has been fixed or is on the way to being fixed or, you know, they're on it, basically, one way or another. So I'm very confident that with time, these things will get perfect and any bugs found will get worked out. That being said, though, I really barely saw any kind of bugs at all. So don't think that you'll buy this and it'll be buggy. That's another reason why I didn't mention it. You know, each cart had one or two quirks that really didn't bother me at all or were easily fixed. Hit reset and reboot or, or something like that. Um, so overall, all three are great alternatives to something like that 161-in-1 multi-cart which if you use those unmodified, it will eventually kill your console. Either way, back to the point, all three are great. Please check out the video and decide which one is for you. And as I said in the video, if you really just want to experience the full library of Neo Geo games, I'd suggest doing that elsewhere first, because these do cost a lot of money, as do Neo Geo consoles and hardware. So, you know, try it out, and if you decide that you love it, and you decide that it's worth it, one of these three is definitely something that you should purchase as well. The Neo Geo dev team has just announced that an enhanced port of Gunlord will be available to purchase on the Nintendo Switch on May 22nd. 
The game's going to be $10, and there's a long list of enhancements that are uh, supposedly added to the original game. And I'm just thrilled about this, because I loved Gunlord, and to be honest, I liked every one of the Neo Geo dev team games that I played. But the hardware itself is really expensive, and there's almost no way to get that Neo Geo hardware down. You couldn't even put it on a ROM cart, because you wouldn't be able to save off that game and use it without uh, the hardware that are on those cartridges that it comes with. So I guess, like, think of Super Mario 3 with that enhancement chip, or like Star Fox with the Super FX chip. It's not quite the same, but I guess that's just an easy way to visualize it. So up until now, the only way to play those NG Dev Team games were to spend hundreds of dollars on the carts, and now for 10 bucks, you can get the same game and a good quality port, I would hope, uh, on the Switch. So I just hope that this leads to more Neo Geo Dev Team games getting out there, and who knows, maybe the more popular they all get, maybe uh, they could make more of those Neo Geo carts and get the overall price down. The person behind the Retro PSU projects has just posted a blog entry saying they're having some serious issues with their manufacturer. Uh, I guess this manufacturer had worked fine in the past and kind of just blew them off this time. So uh, refunds are available, but the, the developer and the person behind it's really just asking if you could be patient. And for me personally, you know, do whatever you choose, but I always try to give the benefit of the doubt in these situations. Obviously, that's bitten me in the ass a few times, even right here on this podcast. But uh, the truth is, I just, I know what it's like to have a project like this that you're doing all by yourself, dealing with manufacturing, testing, product sourcing. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming. And I've been extremely lucky, just by luck, nothing else, that I've had a great experience in the ones that I've done but that could have changed with just one mistake on anybody's end, including mine or the manufacturers or whatever else. So um, anybody interested, there, you know, just click on the link. There's a detailed blog that goes into what happened. And for me personally, though, I'd love to, to hear about other people's um, experience with these power supplies. Because I've, I've never really paid too much attention to any third-party power supply. just want to be clear, by no means am I talking shit about RetroPSU.com. I'm talking about power supplies that aren't OEM in general. Just a blanket statement. I'm always super, super cautious about power, and I'll only use stuff that uh, that I know people of that aren't, you know, that aren't associated with anybody else has put on a scope or, or, or done some really stringent testing to make sure that they're safe to use. Because while I'm by no means a power expert, I do know enough to know how dangerous using improperly built PSUs could be. So if anybody in the comments has a, you know, a link to somebody's testing or really something showing the quality of these, I'd love to know. Because um, if there is a solid, good, you know, equal to or better than replacement internal power supply that has definitely been tested, I'd love to know about it and put links up on the site. I'm just, you know, once again, I'm not talking specifically about this. I'm asking for the results of this, but just as a general statement, I don't put up links to power-related stuff, and I don't think I really ever have unless it's been stringently tested because it's just so easy to ruin your equipment with something that seems like it's working fine at first, and then next thing you know, your console doesn't turn on anymore, and you're left wondering why. So uh, if anybody's tested this specifically, I'd love to know about these. Um, and, you know, one day when the site opens up a little bit more, I would love to have more people's input on these things and, and links to more things that have been tested by the community and proven to be great replacements, because I'd really love to help promote stuff like that. 
Jose Tejada has just publicly released his 1943 FPGA core for the Mr. Platform, and it looks and sounds awesome. I'm really impressed with it. Jose's work has been incredible, and I'm really looking forward to see what else he could do for the Mr. Project. Anybody that likes these things and wants to support him, you could support him over on Patreon, and I'm very proud to be supporting him as well as a ton of other people that I, I really love their work. Um, and man, this is just so cool. You know, all of us get to experience these things now just on one relatively cheap piece of equipment. I mean, it's the DE10 Nano looks like it's going for 130 now, plus, you know, a few extra dollars for some RAM boards and other equipment, and you're really talking about less than the price of one arcade board to experience all these things. So, to be honest, I hope it gets to the point, much like with ROM carts, that I could take some of the arcade boards that I've bought, make sure they're mounted and secure, but just collect them and not use them. Then <laughs> just really use the Mr. for all the actual gaming. But anyway, thanks again to Jose for all his work, uh, and I'll keep everybody posted on what else he comes up with. SNES hacker Vitor Valela has just patched Gradius 3 to use the SNES SA1 chip. So basically, Gradius 3 is a SNES game that's known for very bad slowdown when there's too much going on uh, on screen. And he's offloaded some of the processing power of the SNES onto the SA1 chip to allow it to run very smoothly. Essentially, getting the SNES to do something that on original hardware, it probably shouldn't have been able to do, but does. This even works on original hardware, either with um, the SD to SNES or SD to SNES Pro ROM carts. I believe it'll work with both. And I think you could even take an SA1 game and flash the ROM with a Gradius ROM. I'm not 100% on that one, but point is this could be run on original hardware. It's just adding the SA1 chip in there to offload some of the processing. So I absolutely love stuff like this. I cannot wait to see some of the other stuff he comes up with. Um, and this is really where the advantage of the SD to SNES Pro comes in, because while both could do SA1 chip enhancements, I could imagine something crazy like a CD soundtrack for MSU Audio, as well as the SA1 chip enhancements, which might not be possible on the original, only on the Pro. The Behar brothers have just announced a product called the RGB16, which is a SCART RGB output for Neo Geo MVS consoles. I get the impression that this was designed as a companion to their VGA Out project, which we'll be releasing soon, for people that want both VGA and RGB. And in that scenario, it seems like the perfect choice. I think for people that are looking to consoleize MVSs, uh, basic super gun use, like the Hass, is perfect for now. And while there's some solutions out there, I think some of the ones that are coming out this year would probably be the best choice both for overall cost, um, I think they're all going to be fairly inexpensive, and quality. Uh, I know of a few solutions that are really focused on both of those things, getting an inexpensive, highest quality possible solution out there for people. Um, and I, I think that, in my opinion, would be, people, would be good for people who want to build their own just RGB consoleized MVSs, whereas their, the Behar Brothers solution seems like a good companion to their VGA solution. So overall, there's something for everybody in here. Just uh, try and pay attention to some of the really bad ones out there. And I, I don't want to call anybody out by name, but there's certainly a few, you know, there's a few consoleized MVS solutions that you should, even an amateur should be able to spot it. You know, tape and wires, you know, ugly as sin, probably barely works. Who even knows if the voltages are right? You could kind of spot those coming, but I've seen a few over the years with very beautiful cases that are garbage. Um, even if they're safe to use, 
the quality is all over the place. Um, you know, no time was taken to make to get some consistency in them. So just be careful. Um, you know, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, every time I, I warn people of the bad stuff, I always get a hundred comments of like, "Yeah, but what about this? This is awesome." There's tons of great stuff out there. But if you're a newbie into these things and you're just dipping your toe into the, the I'm trying to consoleize an MVS world. Just as a general rule, be careful. Buy stuff that's been verified by other people, uh, and keep an eye out for some of the stuff coming out this year because I think all Neo Geo fans will be pretty impressed at what they see. Mobius Strip Tech has just done a successful installation of a triple bypass into a Sega CDX, and this is something that a lot of people have been asking about, and a bunch of people have run into trouble trying to pull off. So he was able to take detailed pictures and mark off exactly where he was able to tap audio and video, as well as the best way to send the new output to the existing multi-out. So I'm a huge fan of the CDX. I'm still looking to buy another one back. Um, always disappointed that I sold mine a few years ago, but it, it's just an awesome little console, and being able to install the triple bypass into it is very cool. So thank you very much to Mobius for um, taking the time to do great pictures and show us how the installation was done. And also, over the past week or two, I've finally started updating all of the Genesis sections. Uh, it's just really overwhelming, and it's every time I sit down, it's hours at a clip to get it up to speed. So while the Genesis 2 section is still kind of useless, um, all of the rest, the Triple Bypass, the Genesis 1, all of those other sections are pretty good. And in the Triple Bypass page, I also have links to zip files. Uh, of pictures that show other people's installations. So if you have a matching revision motherboard on the Genesis 2, at least you have that available to you. So this is really the type of thing that I'm, I'm just waiting for the wiki to kick into gear, which is already in motion, by the way. It's no longer just uh, something I talk about. It's, in, it's being baited. There's already a section being added to, and hopefully at some point, People who do these triple bypass installations could just post pictures in the same way that Mobius did, or even just with MS Paint and basic arrows, that's fine too. But good quality pictures of each installation, showing the best points, showing your results. And that's really something that uh, I think, at the very least, is going to be one of the things on the list of awesomeness on that wiki. We could all contribute, and we could all put together things like this. So... Thanks very much to Mobius, as well as the whole team working on the Triple Bypass stuff. Uh, I'm really looking forward to see what comes next with that. Retro HQ has updated all of the plastic shells on the Neo Geo Pocket SD to SLS plastic. So while I really thought the original 3D printed shells were very high quality, these are much more professional grade and uh, are much more durable. So it's my opinion that if you already own the original and there's nothing wrong with it, certainly no reason to upgrade. But anybody that buys from now on will get the newer shell. And if you would like to upgrade yours, or maybe you broke it or something, it'll be about $15 on the new Retro HQ store. That's not quite open yet. That should be open within a few days. Uh, so the link is down below. Anybody interested, just check back and you'll be able to buy the shells. And hopefully use that as a pre-order or order page for the other very awesome Retro HQ stuff. A user on the circuit board forums has just posted a full custom firmware for the Retron 5. Um, at the moment, the firmware is only in German. Uh, I'm assuming it'll be tra translated to other languages fairly quickly. But this allows you to take the Retron 5 in a wired controller, flash an SD card with an image file, same way you would with like a Raspberry Pi or the open source scan converter, 
boot to that and get true root access to the Retron 5, essentially just turning it into an Android device. So there still needs to have uh, needs to be the scripts written and some porting done to get things like RetroArch working on it, but it's feasibly possible to have this uh, have the Retron 5 just simply be the piece of hardware that interfaces to whatever emulators we want to load on it, which is really great because I was so excited when the Retron 5 came out. I was so naive and thought Hyperkin did some really great research and tried to find ways to get us to play Game Boy Advance games and which wasn't really available at the time other than the Game Boy Player, which before the Game Boy Interface software came out was limited to say the least. And when I finally got the Retron 5, I spent a full weekend doing all these tests and reviews on it. And while it looks good, it was so disappointing. The lag on that is just unbearable for some of the emulators. Not all of them, but overall I just I was so disappointed in it. And now it seems like it might be a product worth owning. To be honest, if you could find them cheap enough, I would buy one of those just as a, a really cool and convenient ROM dumper. Obviously, it would have to be, I wouldn't pay full price for just that, but uh, I love that there's potential there now, whereas before, it really just seems like a device that, you know, wasn't definitely wasn't for me, it wasn't for most people I know that really uh, value retro gaming and want the experience to be as close to the original as possible. Uh, people always seem to get upset when I shit on the Retron 5. There's always a whole bunch of rebuttals like, Mine's awesome! Don't talk bad about it! But I just I can't understand why. Maybe I guess if you're playing turn-by-turn role-playing games, then yeah, I'm sure it looks awesome, actually. I'm sure it's a great experience. But certainly not for racing, fighting, adventure, side-scrolling, shooting, or, you know, the rest of the games. <laughs> but... Uh, I'm very excited to see what the whole team on Circuit Board does, as well as anybody else who wants to contribute now that it's opened. Um, it would be very cool to make that a usable piece of hardware that has uh, some neat things on there. Heck, I would love to see that Mode 7 HD widescreen mode implemented into something like this. So, very cool, and thanks to the people that put this together. The Retro Roundtable podcast is back in action tonight. Uh, May 15th, so if you're watching this after the day it came out, you missed it, sorry. Uh, And according to Nick, um, we're doing something we've never done before, and he can't reveal the secret yet, but get pumped, because this stream's going to be fire. Well, he hasn't told me the secret yet either, so I don't know what's going to be going on tonight. Maybe he'll have, like, a half mustache, half no mustache or something? What are we going to do, Nick? But uh, either way, if you're interested in listening to a bunch of nerds, go all out talking tech and uh, I think possibly playing a game or doing other stuff, then please tune in. Um, And of course, the streams are always archived, so if you want to go back and listen at a later time, they're always available for you. Well, that's about it for this week. Sorry for all the background noise. As you could probably still hear, there's been a truck backing up for about three hours straight on top of all the usual craziness and insanity in my neighborhood. I really do try to improve the audio quality and video quality of these things, but... Sometimes you got to just work with what you got and power through it. So thanks to everybody, for, uh, to anybody who listens and watches and to all the people that comment respectfully. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, and I always appreciate criticism, but it's way cooler if you're respectful about it. Um, and of course, thank you to all the supporters, because without your help, none of these videos could happen. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.